Welcome to Working Class Conversations, the podcast dedicated to the working class experience. Okay, so this is Christina and I'm with my sister Shelley. Hello Shelley. Hello Stina. So I'll start off with the um, question that I've been asking everybody. For you, what does it mean to be working class and how do you feel that you fit into that description? To be honest, with the class system, I don't really believe in it that much. I don't really... It's obviously there because people will put themselves in certain classes. I don't think I I really belong in any of them. If I had to choose one, I'd say working class. But then when you read what the working class is and what the middle class is, maybe I'm sort of working class to middle class or upper working class. If I had to put myself in one of them, I'd probably say that. Um, and the reason for that is probably when I look at earnings. So, uh, me and Spence both in the police, both earn decent money. Um, work a lot of hours, um, and different days and shifts and all that kind of stuff. So it's um, if you to me, if you think of upper class, they wouldn't be doing those types of shifts. So again, that's where I think you're on both sides of the class um we've got our own house which we're paying off on a mortgage and we we don't drive brand new cars far from it we don't shop at expensive clothes shops we tend not to have expensive holidays um um our friends our social group go from very working class to middle bordering on upper class so it's kind of like fluid really i couldn't you know one week i might be in a you know in my situation be like oh that's working class but then the next week it could be different so i've got to be honest i don't really feel like i fall into one um but if i had to choose one it would be working class Mm. do you think that's because of like the way we grew up and sort of the mentality rather than your income like your attitude towards I don't know, life and because culture. Because if I think about it, like to me, like I, when we grew up, there wasn't any money at all for anything, and um, our parents didn't work, so you wouldn't call that working class. You'd probably call that the underclass, wouldn't mm-hmm. you? Um, but so when I didn't do great at school, went to college, didn't really enjoy that or do any good at it, um, and went into something like a nursery nurse which is a really good job really hard job as well but really poorly paid so when I bought my first house um with my boyfriend at the time we both were working class and bought our house um and then you know that was definitely working class but now obviously over the years you change don't you so you Mm -hmm. earn more money you progress and all of that sort of stuff so you can change whichever class you're in i think what was the question do you think it's just to do with basically oh yeah yeah sort of culturally because i think no i don't think it is i think um i think well maybe to a certain degree i think when you're younger and you you do recognize you haven't got as much it didn't wasn't a problem because all the kids were the same. I mean, there were some kids who were better off, obviously. But growing up, on like, when we were really young, on, on a council estate, a brand new council estate, which 
oh, so I've got really fond memories of. But, um, you know, from a very young age, I think I always had the desire to be better than that and not to... That was something I was always going to get out of. And that I remember feeling like that from a very young age. So maybe being like that would give me the aspirations to better myself. I don't know. But I don't think that's a class thing. I think you can have a kid mm-hmm. in an upper class upbringing who still wants to better themselves. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of thing. But just different experiences, I suppose. And a different starting point, really. Yeah. yeah. To um, I don't know. I mean, I think starting point, you know... I went to an all right school. Um, it was a good school actually, and then senior school was a good school. Um, and obviously, I didn't benefit from having lot, you know, money to go on holidays to get those experiences or after school clubs or, um, you know, better quality food, I guess. But so when you're at school, you know, you're all the same. You wear the same uniform. You eat the school dinners. You get the same education. And again, when I went to Bavistock there was kids from the estate and there were actually other kids from nicer areas sort of going out towards Withall and mm. all that who were probably middle class but we all did the same obviously the middle class kids tended to do better at school and get the better results and things because their parents probably gave them better experiences and um and expected more out of them I think when you're not sometimes I think the parents expectations are a lot lower so you're mm-hmm. not encouraged to probably outperform to better yourself I guess I think certainly my feeling about being working class and being a kid is that um your aspirations are not placed very you know you're not given aspirations you're not encouraged to think that you could be the next prime minister um at all and so it was sort of well if you make good on your grades well done for you but there's you know um, so I would agree with that. I think that's a nice segue into the subject that we agreed we'd discuss yeah. for the podcast, which is uh, men and women, the, you know, the differences between um, men and women, our relationships with each other and so on. Yeah. Um, just for everybody listening, this isn't a just exclusively about working class men and women. This is about basically two working class women yeah. talking about the relationships between yeah. the sexes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, for my first question, how do you think the role of men and women has changed, you know, in the past even 10, 20, 30, or even 40 to 50 years? Because I think there's been a seismic change since, you know, the rise of feminism and the liberation of women, mm-hmm. and it's changed, I think irreparably in some cases, changed the dynamic and the relationship between men and women and consequently the family. What's your observation? I think... From my experience, so going into the workplace, um, my first workplace was working with only women, um, which was a great job, and I did that for over 10 years. Um, And it would probably be a job that most people would consider, like, you know, low-paid, or you don't have have any brains to be a nurse nurse. But in fact, the company I worked for at the time, um, really good company, um, did excellent training with staff, decent pay, pensions, training, um, give you so many opportunities that, and there was men within that company, but it's mainly women. Um, it was fantastic. And I, you know, I left, when I left there to join the police, um, it, was, it was sort of a natural progression for me, but completely different career change. 
Um, so at that time, my experiences of the classes and um, differences between men and women, I didn't really see it because it wasn't something that affected me. You know, I worked with women. I didn't have any issue. You know, you didn't hear about um, sexual assault in the workplace, none of that, because we were all women, so we didn't mm-hmm. come into it really. And then, so it was 2002 when I joined the police. And then um, it opened, doing that job then opened my eyes up massively to everywhere, to the communities I worked in, relationships, domestic violence, mental health, crime, obviously, which is obvious. Uh, and um, and then becoming, since then, obviously getting married, being a mum myself, being in the workplace. Um, I'm lucky that who I work for, they're pretty good at equality, um, and diversity and it's something they really focus on I do think sometimes it's lip service but it is something that's you know there's equal opportunities um, equal pay um, in there's where there's sections of departments where they're underrepresented for example by women then you know women are encouraged to go to open days and have tester days to go and see like example like firearms so mm. not many women do that so that's really encouraged. But then obviously looking at wider field and just reading different articles and, and being interested in the difference between men and women in the workplace and especially in the working class. I think the Equality Act, when that came in, so it was like 2010 or something, I can't mm. remember, around then, whenever it was. So it was, a, it was a good push to force in employers to for equal pay, um, equal chances of promotion, training everything else like that but it's really that's quite new still isn't it and I think no most industries have caught up with that the equal pay side of things uh, I do think that the the balance is there I do think it can be interpreted in different ways like some people will say um, yeah well women want to be treated the same as men you know no, we don't. We want to be treated equally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not... In being equal, it isn't the same. Um, and then they decided to... Which was the biggest kick in the fanny ever, was when they decided to give men extra paternity leave, thinking that it encouraged more men to take more time off work. And you're like, what? Like, I know women that only get sort of six weeks mater- full-pay maternity off. Um and it hasn't encouraged men, more men to take more paternity leave. Um, and, you know, you've still got mainly women who were doing the part-time hours. I myself classed as part-time, so I get a day off a week, which you know, I don't get paid for. Um, and women are still doing all the part-time jobs um, and still taking the lower-paid jobs and um, still taking most of the time off when the kids are sick and all of those things. And I... Although we're treated equally in aspects of pay and stuff, I don't think the attitudes are the same. Um, I think that women are think they've got to work full-time or do whatever they need to do, the same as a man. But most of these women then are still going home and doing all the unpaid work on top of their own work, and men are, men haven't stepped up to contribute to that i'm not saying i'm not saying all men and you know that hashtag all men not all men all that i think that some men 
there are some men definitely who would step up to that mark and do their fair share of unpaid work in the house but my experiences and the people that I know and speak to that's not the case and I think that's unfair to women I think that has had again a knock-on effect I think um over the past sort of 10 20 years um women are drinking a lot more 100 percent I'm just hearing stories and just from friends and having discussions about things and their experiences and they who they know so um um I've got a friend who's a foster carer who I have conversations about and her experiences of um, obviously looking after children in care. There's a lot of women who are now alcoholics who are having their kids taken off them because the kids have been neglected. And I, I think possibly that is a... What contributes to that is the pressures of trying to do everything. Um, and it has an effect on the kids. The kids are sat there on iPads, you know, when because they've got no one to talk to or whatever. And obviously that's creating a whole new realm of problems with children who've not been able to communicate, express their feelings, um, all sorts of things. And of course then, women will get the blame for that, not men. Hmm. So that's, you know, it's again, it's that thing where you can just solve it's somebody else's fault. Um, so, yeah, I think, I, think, I think women are doing too much. Um, and I think it's a shame. And you've got the other aspects of... There were women with children, career women, and the career women without children. So those are women that choose not to have children because they're career driven, mm. and sort of look down upon going, oh, you know, why didn't she have kids and all this, and sort of criticise in a way. But then you've got the women who have done well and have got children, um, who spend too much time at work probably and don't see the kids. They get criticised, but men ever rarely get treated the same way if they don't have children or if they're working in you know in the same sort of job as the woman they don't get that sort of same attitude towards which i think that's unfair that's unequal so there's still a lot of inequalities okay to play the devil's advocate to Mm. give a push back against that Mm. um what i would say against it is uh, well two things first of all the real issue there is that there's two people working in the family, yeah. whereas there needs to be, I would argue, one person at home. It can be mum, but equally it can yeah. be dad. I don't see any problem with a stay-at-home dad. Me neither. But I think it's really essential that while the kids, you know, are younger, like, mm. you know, before they go to secondary school, yeah. you do need to have a parent yeah. at home. You do. Um, but the, also the, the second point that I would say to you is the reason... Camille Paglia, if I've said her name correctly, um, a great American writer, uh, an early feminist, Mm. and um, she said the problem with feminism is it never really dealt with motherhood. And I think motherhood and children change the dynamics of of how you have a career and at home in a family life. And I think there is a sort of... At the moment, you can't win as a woman if you're a career woman that doesn't have kids, but mm. also if you're a career woman that does have kids. Yeah. Because you've got the... Probably... I remember my career was in libraries. Again, only working with women, mm. mainly women. But um, one of the many things that I did in libraries was uh, ran for a while a baby group, parent and baby group. It was yeah. really a mums and baby group. Yeah. So we never really had any dads. And... 
barely any of them were excited about going back to work none of them really wanted to no. go back to work they wanted to stay at home with their kids yeah. but they couldn't afford to because they've got massive mortgages yeah. and two cars and stuff when there was the odd one where they said well we've decided that I'm, I am going to stay at home yeah. and they had a couple more kids you know yeah whatever that's I think there has to be that right to choose yeah but um, the second point I was going to make to you, the reason why it falls upon the shoulders of women to try and make everything work is because they are the ones that are changing their role in society. Yeah. Men have no desire and have fought in no way to try and make headway in like nursery nursing mm. or school teaching. There's not enough men in childcare and there's not enough men in um, as teachers and in the school system at all. It's a very female-dominated area. Yeah. And men and boys are suffering greatly in the school system and in the university system. They're not signing up to university courses. And when they do, they're dropping out at a great rate and they're not getting the degrees at the end of it. And um, nobody seems to be interested in why that's happening. Mm -hmm. And also, again... In, for men in divorce, in the dynamics of the family, they very rarely get custody of the children. And when yeah. they can gain access, it's very limited access to the children. Yet they still have to um, financially support mm -hmm. the, the, the family. So although the women have the burden of childcare, um, a lot of men can't access that childcare that they might be willing to give. So yeah. I think the dynamics have changed within men and women in the family and within work. But it's been driven by women, um, and I think that's why men, arguably, are not um, not carrying the weight as much. I think that's changing. My perception is that that's changing because we're now having, you know, we've had feminism, but we're now having a rise in men's rights activism, mm -hmm. men's rights activists. What do you know anything about men's rights? Uh, I mean, to, to your first point was the. Um, about men, what was it, about men not taking up in childcare? Now, what was your first point? My, my first point was that somebody needs to be at home. And, right, yeah, and so, again, like, so, so just to talk about that, so, um, and you said that you'd worked with women who didn't want to go back to work. So yeah. when, you, when you do have a child, you don't want to go back to work. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. And I think a lot of the time we, we're trying to force, so women and men in this, to go against their natural instincts. Now, I'm not saying that's biology, but obviously it is to a certain extent for a woman because, you know, we can we conceive the baby, grow it inside us, give birth to it, f breastfeed it, um, and the, the instinct of that comes into fruition. And men don't have that because they don't have the same biological experience as we mm. do. So you, so you can't be then, you can't say then men and women are equal in relation to the child because it's not it's a different relationship i'm not saying it's less loving or more loving it's just different mm -hmm. so th that's for that um and like you know when you i know lots of women in my job not well, not lots uh, a few that have quit their careers because they want to do, be at home with their kids and i think that's a brilliant if you can do it great uh i didn't want to go back to work i had to go back to work um now sort of nine years on almost um, I'm really glad I went back to work. I think that working mums, although they have all this burden and stuff, they actually, the lesson they're teaching their children, especially if you have a daughter, is a really good role model that you you go out, you earn your own money, you 
you know, buy certain things, go to certain places, whatever. And it's a good example to set your child, especially if it's a girl, to say you don't have to rely on a man to earn all the money. You know, you, you go to school, you get a qualification, you go to uni or whatever you do, work in a shop, doesn't matter. But I think that's a good example to set your kids a working ethic. And I think, to you know, for a child to see that, that's a really good thing. I think another factor to do with this is now people are working for longer. So, say, 30 years ago, maybe, um, families with young children would have grandparents to help them with childcare. Nowadays, grandparents, not everyone, but a lot of grandparents are working longer. So when you've got a couple in their 30s, let's say, have a child, and their parents are in their 60s, those parents, like, mm. like say, they're working, so you, you have to pay for childcare. Um, and, you know, there aren't a lot of men in childcare because it's low paid. Um, and it's a shame because I think men are eyed with a certain amount of suspicion around working with children, which they shouldn't be. Um, and it's hard, you know, expect, like I said, women have changed their behaviour and their work ethics and going into jobs where men are and being confident as it and competent but I don't think it's the same to be said for men I think bec- mainly because a lot of those jobs are the lower paid jobs so why would they go into them if they don't have to but then there are jobs like that are predominantly men working class jobs the public I'm thinking about public sector mm. um, um, which are men and you don't see any women in so it, I think there is obviously different jobs suited for different sexes I don't think it's a bad thing to have them. I'm not saying, you know, more women should be big men, more men should be nursery nurses or librarians or primary school teachers or whatever. But I think there's nothing wrong with accepting that that's how it is for mm. for a lot of people and that's what they're comfortable in. Um, and that's fine. And then what was your next point? Well, I'll just say I agree with that mm. completely. I don't think there's anything at all wrong with being Mm. different in the sexes and I think there is a lot of denial of biology at the moment in society about that that um and just because I'll forget um this is from memory but there was a study in Sweden where they have quite generous paternity laws and most men don't take what they're allotted because um and it said in the study that they they felt the urge to go out and graft. Yeah. They took overtime. They wanted yeah. to go out and basically, you know, go out and hunt for goods yeah. for their yeah. wife and child, and which I find fascinating. And I th- again, I think, like I said, we, we're constantly trying to fight against our, our instincts and our human nature to do however we want to do it. And I don't, th- I don't always think that's a good idea because it's almost like conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even use the wrong word. But you're saying to men, you've got to start talking about your feelings, blah, blah, blah. Well, there's a reason why men don't talk about their feelings. And women will... I get together as much a group of my women and we will tell each other absolutely everything um, and have a you know, good old natter about stuff. Men don't do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it. And I don't think men should be... Like bullied into being forced. Of God, you've got to be in touch with. This. No, they don't. They don't want it. They don't have to do it. They might choose to do it. If they do, great. But I just think we need to accept our differences. Doesn't mean we're not as equal or whatever. But it, we are different. I think once we start accepting that, I think things would be a lot better, and people would be more accepting of how it is. 
instead of trying to change everybody to be exactly the same, which we don't want. I'm I'm flabbergasted. I don't understand why it has suddenly happened that there's this assumption that we all have to be the same no. and think the same and make the same choices and that if you don't make the choice that I've made, you're somehow wrong or yes, yeah. I just don't get it. But anyway, the second point um, I made just to be contentious was that mm-hmm. uh, that women are the ones that are trying to change their role yeah. in society. So that's how they somehow have sort of been lumbered with yeah. the extra work because yeah. men are like, we're fine the way we are. Yeah. You want to change, you deal with it. Yeah. And what I think what we're trying to do is, this is getting a fundamental like error, is what we're trying to do is change men mm. to give a crap that we're not earning as much, um, that we're doing all this stuff. And not being funny, but like, why would they do more if they don't have to? Why would they? Mm. Um, it's wrong. Like, you know, I'm not sticking up for him because it, it's our order, but why would they? Um, and it's 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 a it's a, you're fighting a losing battle. I think um, if you're if you're say you're um, you and your partner are both working full time, you've got kids, and you're doing it all. He's he's not going to change. Uh, why would he? And if he doesn't see what you're doing or doesn't value, I think that's a a big thing. It's like a lot of men don't value the work that women do. Um, and I, I've got examples, n- numerous examples where. Um, blokes who I know who are off on paternity leave um, who can't wait to go back to work because it's hard work and when it's their day off I mean I'm laughing about it because it's not funny but it is when it's their day off like say they have a flexible working agreement so they'll do extended hours so they'll still be full time but they'll have a, let's say to Monday Monday off work and they're, they're um, saying oh it's a daddy day care well, it's not that okay, you're looking after your child. And they will spend that day, they'll take their child out to the pub for lunch, <laughs> do whatever, but they'll do zero of the other work that mums have to do when it's they're at home on their set day off. And they don't do any of that. And they just look after the child and do nice things. Um, and but they don't do the washing up or hang the, the, the laundry on the lawn. Or vacuum or go and buy... The school uniform that needs but nothing like that it's just being with that child so and I, and that's just just not a, a lots of examples of blokes i have conversations with and they say that and laugh about it and i laugh about it with them and they say you know it's hard work the, what the mums do you know it's hard for them so uh, you know i think i think deep down they probably do see it's hard work they don't value it but at the end of the day, they don't want to do more work, so they just carry on meeting their own mm. needs, I guess. I, I mean, this is my thoughts on it, which is that with the rise of not feminism where it's the first wave, it's not yeah. like Mary Walsencraft and yeah. um, going off to uh, suffragettes. This is not about equality yeah. under the law and having yeah. access to your own money. It's not that, um, which I'm going to mm. do another contentious point on that later. But... Um, this is um, about the that somehow with the, the drive that I think has probably happened since you were a kid and definitely yeah. since I were a kid, so it's in the last 30 years, where the drive is that women should be trying to get what men have. Yeah. But I would argue, that, or personally for me, is I'm not interested in what men have. I'm quite happy being a woman yeah. and achieving... I mean, I wouldn't look at it if I was a stay-at-home mum and had, you know, happy kids that I would have 
failed in any way or not achieved anything where but there is a devaluing of the work in the home and I think that has been driven by I don't know I don't know what wave third or fourth I don't know feminism where there were a lot of women that were like it's not acceptable for a woman to stay in the home whereas actually as we both know there are lots of women that are much happier in the home and they will be in the police in the library in the supermarket yeah so where where do yeah. you think this devaluing of the home life has come from? Having a home life as a career, having I being housewife as a career. I mean, it's difficult really because I've got stay at home mums who are who are good friends, um, and I think so. I think oh, good on her, you know, she's got lovely kids, nice clean house, ironing's done, whatever, and her husband earns a good wage. Mm-hmm. So that they can they can still do holidays and pay the mortgage and do all that sort of stuff, and then as they get to school, maybe do a few hours work, self employed, mm-hmm. doing something or whatever. And a lot of a lot of mums do that. Um, I just think women will be criticised whatever they do. I think if you go back full time, um, part time, no time, whatever you do, if you marry someone that's rich, you're criticised for that because you only married them because you've got money. I don't think it matters. I think women will criticise and judge each other um, a lot. And I think a lot of it does come... It's not from men doing that. It's us doing that. And I don't think men should be, you know, put in with that at all because I don't think that's very fair. I think women do do a good enough job of comparing ourselves. And Don't get me wrong, men compare themselves to their peers, like, oh, they've got a nicer car or bigger house or whatever, you know. But for women... But then there are a lot of women who I know who are supportive of other women in whatever situations they're in. Um, so I think whichever extreme you've got, you've got the other extreme. So, um, you know, that's that's how it is. Um, there was a woman that basically nobody's heard of, but I think is probably one of the greatest philosophical minds of... The, our generation. You're gonna say Michelle Hunt, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> a lovely Canadian lady called Karen Strone. I don't think I've said oh, that. No, so no, no, um, but she's very much into men's rights activism, and she did um, a great talk on YouTube, which you can find. Please do. Um, What's her name? I can't pronounce Spell it. S T R A U G H A N. Karen Strawn. Strawn or something like that. Okay. And she does a lot on men's rights activism, mm. but she, um, I think, is a great thing because she reads a lot, she analyses a lot. She do. She's uh, been a participant in the film The Red Pill, which is on yeah, Amazon Prime. Yeah. If you can watch it, it's mm. interesting. But um, she did this great YouTube video that I enjoyed quite a while ago, um, which was she was talking about the dynamics between men and women that. Even in the actually in the British courts in the Victorian era, mm. when women are allowed the access to their own property, yeah. that it changed forever the dynamics between men and women. Because yeah. previously, women had no access to money. She mm-hmm. couldn't have a bank account. She couldn't yeah. raise a loan or anything. Yeah. But um, she had no debt either. Yeah. Um, she could uh, get debt in her husband's name and he'd have to pay it off. Yeah. She was entirely dependent on him mm. and it was the sale of her excess fertility to his excess labour and it was the marriage between the two that mm. created a successful 
you know, and that's yeah. why uh, men got custody of the keys because basically they'd bought them. Yeah. And um, I found that absolutely fascinating because I'd never thought of it in those terms of, oh, yeah, it, it's, that's the that's the deal and now the deal's changed yeah. where women still get to keep the kids and the money and they don't have to give anything up. Whereas a lot of women would say, well, I've had to give something up because I can't win either way and yeah. I've still got to do the housework. Yeah. But in those senses, that dynamics change. What are your thoughts on on that? Well, for just, I mean, I've got, you know, experience of it just through my work and, um, you know, I'm, I'm so lucky that I get to see lots of different things. Um, and people, have, I think a lot of people have assumptions with family courts that women always get the children and they don't get to the dads and all sorts of things. Now, the family courts, when you, you've got to think, obviously, the burden of proof with different things in the, in the family courts is what is probable. It's not what is, it's what is probable. Um, you know, there is, there is no doubt that there were going to be lots of cases where women will keep the children and the, the dads will get minimal access because of divorce, whatever circumstances. Um, and women sort of get tarnished with that brush that they manipulate the courts, they'll tell lies about domestic violence to get, you know, to get custody of kids. Uh, and my experience of that is, in fact, the opposite. There are lots of cases of domestic violence um, which men have committed against women, which is the majority of domestic violence. I think you, can, you can't argue with, with that. Um, and women are, you know, the children are obviously affected by that and it's damaging to them. And I think the courts recognise that a lot now. And if you've got um, circumstances, like the courts would always do what's in the best interest of the child. It's the best interest of the child if they're seeing their mum get punched in the face by a man. Mm-hmm. They're also at risk of violence themselves. So the right decision then would be not to have the child have access to mm-hmm. the dad because he's violent and if he's battering his missus, he's going to batter his kids. Uh, it's mm-hmm. dangerous. Um, and there are a lot of cases where men are given access to their children and the courts are, and the police services well are manipulated with reports of each parent doing something to then it has an effect on the court case. So, like, the blame game and the kids are in the middle of all of this, which is really what the focus should be about. Uh, I think it should always be about what, you know, what situation is best for the child um, and the parents to work. They can't work together, obviously, because that's why they're in court. Mm-hmm. But somehow the courts are then intervening in these family situations where all other avenues have been exhausted and they can't come to an agreement. Um, and I think generally the courts, I see examples where children with women and children with men, it's it's always in the best interest of the child. They've got that's the only thing they can base it on, and they don't base it on if it's you know the children are always best off with the mom because they're not always. I mean we we've just talked earlier about sort of I've said about the from you know, testimonies I've spoken to people and and stuff like what you know women are losing their children now because they turn into alcoholics because they can't function and they're relying on self medicating drugs alcohol to do it and then they're neglecting the children and we're not talking about working class we're talking about middle upper classes mm. as well um are doing this um 
so the kids aren't always best off with the mums and the courts recognise it and that the courts are experienced enough um, as best as they can to make the decisions that they do. Do you think women are just as violent as men? No. Do you think they just... Um, and I'm just thinking, oh God, what was her name? She's the first lady to ever have a domestic violence uh, refuge, I think in the world, but she was in London. Um, oh, I want to say... No, I can't remember her name. But anyway, she argued that a lot of the women that came into the refuge with the kids were just as violent as the men. Like she's, I'm sure she, the statistic what she said, uh, the first 100 that came into the house, 62 of them were just as violent as the men, which I find intriguing. I've got no nothing beyond what say, she said beyond yeah. that. This is just for me to provoke. I'd want to know what you. examples of violence she meant, um, in what circumstances yeah. and the women themselves and the backgrounds and, you know, are you comparing the same to domestic violence shelters for men? You know, mm. what are you, what data yeah, are you yeah. using? So I, I think a lot of times when you, when you hear about data and this example and that example, I've always got, it, normally it, it doesn't give me answers, it gives me more questions. Mm-hmm. So I don't, although you have to, to a certain extent, facts you can't argue with. And, you know, if there is a fact of this many people are victims of, violent crime or offenders of violent crime you can't argue with that um you're only going on what's reported you, you haven't got the data that's unreported but you know you, but things like that i just think well, what you're basing it on you're gonna back it up with something because i think men and women get angry but they react in a different way like men are very target specific so yeah. what angers them if you say something that angers them man or woman or whatever they'll punch you in the mouth to shut you up. Whereas women, if you make women angry, it's, it's very emotional anger yeah. where they'll be screaming and maybe a few cups and plates will be smashed. And yeah. But there's not many women that are just literally launch themselves at a man and start punching him in like a stereotypical yeah. way on a film. I think women... Unless do they're pissed up town and there's something, very has, yeah. something has triggered them to... Like, I'm not saying the men, man deserves it because that sounds a bit mm. weird, but like triggered it to mm. whereas you will get and again our cold's fueling this but mm. so you will get a drunk man in the city centre and I've been there and seen it lots and lots of times with my own eyes who will just go up to somebody and punch them in the face for no reason whatsoever. Mm. And that's just not one example. There are yeah probably hundreds of examples I can give. Um but you don't really get that well you don't I've never don't seen with my own eyes, a woman go up to a complete stranger for no reason and just punch him in the face. Something's so, got yeah. Yeah, uh, I think there's something in men's conditioning, whether it is a conditioning thing, there's a reason that they're physically stronger and bigger than women. Uh, testosterone, obviously, got probably plays a part in it. So we are different. So I can't. I don't think you can say women are just as violent as men. Because you, you, then you could say, well, what is violence? You mm-hmm. know. Um, there's a reason why men are more violent than women, uh, and that's the fa- that's it. That's a fact. I think. I'm not saying women aren't violent, but not you know. There's a reason, isn't the, it? Yeah, they're not as violent no. as I would agree. There's not as violent as mm. men. Um, and if the, there is violence, it's a different type. Of, yeah. And even if she did get violent, she's she's uh, not going to have the same impact because she hasn't got the physical strength. That's the thing. Like, she, if, so if you've got a big bloke there and a woman there, let's say about the same age, fitness, whatever. You know, if they both punch you in the face, it's going to hurt more if the man punches you in the face. Mm-hmm. It's put more likely to do more significant damage. I'm not saying the woman won't, but it's, the man's going to cause more damage. Yeah. Right, let's see. What the, oh, we've got a bit of time left. Um, 
Right, so we've sort of talked about like the social roles. We've talked about biology as well mm. and and conditioning. Um, what do you, I mean? I'm watching and uh, observing with a sort of real concern. And and just to di- for disclaimer, Shelley will confirm this. I'm one hundred percent prude, so I'm watching. <laughs> Um, you say that. What colour are your nails? Oh, you haven't got them red I today. Haven't, I haven't got red nails on today. I haven't. They need trimming and I'm repainting. Um, no, but seriously, the um, the pornification of society leaves me really worried. Pornification of women leaves you really worried. Yeah, women and and just generally the way um, sex it just dominates most things in yeah. society today, but also that sex is so easily accessible yeah porn is far too easily accessible and very extreme yeah. porn that is in fact of only of interest to an extreme minority of users of porn viewers of porn and and that really really worries me because there's um things coming out now where young people are just not interested in having relationships with not. anyone of the opposite sex or having sex yeah. because uh, i mean I can understand that because I'm 100% prude, but it just must be so intimidating. So what do you, what have you noticed since when you were a lot younger and the, and the, when you start first dating of how it yeah. seems to be now for kids in their mid-teens? Because uh, your daughter, she's not, not that far away <laughs> <laughs> for just a few short years. And I'm there looking at it thinking, uh, maybe we could convince her to stay single for the rest of her life. Yeah. Um right so if i think back like so you can't you can't put an age on when mm. you're sexually aware and stuff but growing up in druid's heath you'd be over the back where it used to be the bell's farmhouse mm-hmm. there'd be a lot of abandoned farmland right and we'd all play over there as kids and it was great and you would find a porno and mm-hmm. you'd be like yeah we found a porno and you would see pictures of naked men and women um mainly boobs um you wouldn't see many penises um there wouldn't be any sexual acts as such. It was just nudity. And mm-hmm. that would be like whatever there were, the magazines, I can't remember. So you'd find out that that was your exposure mm-hmm. to porn. I mean, that was it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's funny, really. And then, um, so, obviously, I, my teenage years were prior to the internet, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Netflix and whatever else. It's, well, the internet, isn't it? And then... Um, so then, obviously, since the internet has arrived, you know, most of the internet is people researching or looking for porn. I mean, it's, it's a joke, but it's, it is a fact. Um, so my concerns are... Really, there's, there's lots of concerns, to be honest. If I was to focus on men first, I think young boys are are always going to be looking out for porn because when the porn was found when we was a kid, it was the boys that found the porn. Yeah. And they'd be like all shit looking at the boobs and stuff. Yeah. And the page three and all that. So so they've always been and they're always going to be more younger and more interested than girls are at that age. Mm. So at the same age they're going to be more aware of it. And girls are going to be like, oh don't want to see it, I want to see it. But however, mm-hmm. porn isn't for girls, it's for men. Mm-hmm. It's the whole thing. It's, um, you know, there's no porn that women would want to watch because it's all aggressive and violent. Anyway, so I'm going, yeah. I'm going off. So, so the porn now is extreme porn, so it's not just boobs. Um, 
and a bit of a hairy fanny if you're lucky. Um, there's lots of things in my head. So, so young boys, let's say twelve, just onto, like going to senior school, and they're when you research porn, it's not just a bit of that. It's extreme porn, mm-hmm. anal sex, um, all sorts of things. So these boys thinking that's what's normal, mm-hmm. um, and that's what they should be doing in the next few years. That's what they should be doing with other girls, um, and. Um, And that's, I think for, I don't know, you'd have to speak to another male, but that must be really daunting. Well, it must be really psychologically damaging. Yeah, well, porn is psychologically damaging. And so these boys are, it's like, well, well, it's it's a fact that porn, you know, becomes very addictive and normalised. And these, like I said, these boys have been psychologically damaged. Um, And when they meet, let's say they meet a girl at 15... And they what they've been watching violent porn mm. against women. That's it. Maybe that that's how they play out the early stages of their sex life. Well, that's they think that's what you do. That's, that's their normal. education. Because that's, that's what they're normal, Yeah. Um. And then you've got girls who would. I'm not saying they don't research porn, but they will do. They're going to see this, and they're going to be psychologically psychologically damaged. And think, well, I've got to do that because that's what the boys are going to expect. And if I don't do that, I'm going to be whatever they'll publicly shame me or whatever. Mm. Uh, his, throughout history, women have always been shamed. Oh, okay. so, so there's that. Um, and the generation of um, girls sending pictures of their boobs to boys and then the boys mm. and all their friends and all that kind of stuff, that goes on. So I think for young people now, I'm not saying all young people because you're, you're best to speak to them really, it mm. worries me that they're going into a situation thinking all these things are normal. And it's, I know sex isn't normal. Um, and all the other things that you... That's the heating's just okay. come on and it's squeaking on the floor. Come to the you might hear that if you don't, that's why we went silent. So, um, it's like a haunted house. So yeah, that concerns me massively um the the, the the psychological damage of porn although all porn when you, if you was to right i haven't heard of this website can mm. i say the website yeah. yeah right so i i'm only going back probably 15 this and that right so somebody at work jokes about the joke about porn that says go on the red tube mm. and i thought it said youtube no the red tube what's the red tube go on it so i goes on the red tube it's basically a porn youtube Right. So even, Pornhub would be the one, yeah. though, wouldn't oh, it? See, it might not even exist anymore. But yeah. this was... And yeah. I, so I was thinking, oh, my God. So, obviously, I had a look. But the titles, it struck me. And I I don't agree with porn anyway at all. So it doesn't interest me. But it's always, man destroys women's blah. And it's all yeah. a, a violent towards women. Um, and all the titles of the clips are, you know about that so it's it's violence against women so you you're watching violence against women basically i'm not saying women aren't consenting to this because they are they're not having quite a nice time i mean but that's what it is it's targeted for men so there's no doubt about that because every thumbnail it's it's not you know it's it's degrading degrading images towards Mm -hmm. it's never the men look like it's being degraded it's the woman and again that Mm -hmm. goes without that so 
overexposure to them kind of images for young people, developing relationships and feelings and all that sort of thing, really, really damaging. So I can see why young people would be opting out of that. Mm. Because it is horrific. And mm. they probably deep down know it's horrific. And that's why they don't want to... They think, mm. oh, that's normal, so I'm not going to do that because that looks mm. flipping horrible. So I'm mm. just opting out. Um, and my worry is, obviously, porn is... I mean, I, if I look, was to see a porn thing, it's probably more extreme than that one I watched yeah. 12 years ago. Mm. And where do you go then? This is my worry. So once you've got to that stage... Is it going to be... So people are accepting all of that severe stuff, to me, extreme sex or whatever you want to call it, behaviour, as normal. But then there's always got to be an extreme. So, you know, soon enough, is it going to be the pedos that are having a great time and and it's going to cause more of an uprising in that because the more extreme your sexual fantasies are behavior and you get to that extreme quite early on in life Mm -hmm. or whatever stage you are then there's there's got to be something else because it's you're always perversion it's a perversion um yeah and i just worry then that how the children are going to be the next victims of paedophilia because there's there's a next stage to extreme porn addictions and hope you know, you'd think that there are going to be a lot of people who watch extreme porn that never have sex. Mm. And that's their thing. Um, obviously, they're just damaged people and probably better off sitting there not having sex with anybody, just watching it because you never know what damage they're going to do to people. But um, but then the porn has to be made to satisfy them. And um, yeah. this is an argument with... I mean, my views on porn is um, that everybody's damaged from watching yeah. it to making it. Yeah, it was... Oh, I watched just... a few clips. It was... Horrific. And yeah. I thought, what's the point of this? No. Why would anybody want to watch that? Because it is, like you said, it is so violent. And yeah, I don't get it. I think, uh, I mean, we've touched on this, and I've said this a lot to like Tony, who mm. you listened to on the podcast before, and other friends, is that I'm convinced, and there is nothing that happens every day that I'm, you know, hear about on the news that I see and read about mm. that is dissuading me. It's only confirming my certainty, is that we're reaching the limits and the end of the age of social liberalism, and we're moving into the age of social conservatism, which means that all this you're free to be whatever you want there's no boundaries you can be whoever you want Mm. do whoever you want nobody's ever harmed you know and Mm. all that is coming to an end um and we're going to start having more of a mary whitehouse feel to it if you don't know who mary whitehouse is shelly used to call me her (laughs) um but also um she was a lady in the sort of (laughs) 60s and 70s who um, there's a devout Christian who would come out and say this is not suitable to have on um, mm. at a certain time. You know, she was very much a Ned Flanders wife yeah. when somebody please think of the children. Yeah, yeah. But the reality is that we've got such a liberal um, society where you can be oh. anything mm. and you don't have to think about anybody else's feelings on the matter. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's really 
we're really coming to the end of it. There's only, as you say, one more place to go, yeah. and I don't think anybody's interested in going there because I think that the the safeguarding boundaries for kids are slowly being eroded, and not a lot of people are really noticing that it's happening. I again, because uh, I'm I'm with you on this. So uh, the the like the porn side of things, um, and just one of the things from that, like I think I touched on it before that like. I mean, there probably is, but I wonder, like, these people who make, who try to say porn's not harmful, it's whatever expression, blah, blah. But you don't see much porn being made by women for women or by men for women. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that time it was just pure, it didn't seem anything about that, that no one sat there and go, you know what, for women, what would you like to see? What porn would you like to see? And you probably get a lot of women say it's going to be more like a scenario based on mm. the postman knocks the door and you have a bit or whatever. But men just want close up of that. We just it goes on to this, yeah. but it's like they want to see fannies with no hair on, mm. which look like children's girls yeah. fannies, and that's where porn is now. You don't get you don't get pubic hair in porn no. because you, you can't see everything if the hair's mm. there. And for me, when you, like you got porn, you got and I'm just thinking right. Your vagina looks like mine on your daughter's vagina. So as a bloke, you want to watch. Yeah. Not your vaginas being, it's you know, just, yeah. it's horrible it's to think about. Churning it's churning we're both wincing at each other. Exactly, but that's basically yeah. what it is. Um, and um, so bring back hairy fannies. Mm-hmm. And also, um, like I said, that, that ultimately, then, you know, it's, it's, it's slowly, it's filtering in now to children and the harm that we're sort of putting on our children that not me as an individual but society is saying that you know like um we're almost like testing on them was before like medical tests obviously it's a absolute no no you don't Mm. you know test drugs or treatments or whatever on young people um because like for an example so if you was to have um so the, someone said to the police or the hospital the hello uh police yeah we've got this kid in the hospital they've got a broken leg and um we don't know how it's happened and the parents are here let's say don't speak english they're from africa or somewhere and we think we're not sure and so the police get involved and let's say they there's no injuries on this child other than a broken leg there's no bruising, there's no... Mm. Parents are saying, oh, I don't know, he fell off the thing or rolled over or... It's like it's yeah, a baby. just fell off the wall or something. No, 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 just, oh, just, just a baby. Yeah, just a yeah. little one and we don't know. Right, so nobody knows. And the parents are like, com- you know, um, comply with the interviews. We look, we, you know, we, we got him out of his cot and he was all right and then this leg was crying and all this sort of stuff. So, getting to a point. So, the hospitals will... The, the doctors won't say, that is definitely... 100% a non-accidental injury because there is no research on children's broken bones of accidental or non-accidental unless they've got other injuries. Mm-hmm. We don't do tests on that. We don't break children's legs to see, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that has always been, and you know, unless there are examples or case law of other, so, you know, there's a condition the child's got, all that sort of thing. But we don't test things on children. Mm-hmm. And I think now it's... The, it eroded that I think a bit now mm. I think there was more almost like you know 
it's just changing. I think there's a massive change in the the consideration of children in society and how you know the the precious and should be protected at all times. And I think it's although fundamentally it's still there, like you know protection from children neglect and uh, abuse and all that kind of stuff. But I just think it it's not as important as it should be. No. It's not on the agenda as much no. as you should I think be. there's some areas where it's absolutely keeping kids as young mm. as possible for as long as possible. Yeah. You know, they're not allowed to go to school on their own. Yeah, and yeah. They're not allowed to play yeah. out in the street. Yeah. But in other areas, there's a lot of reckless attitude yeah. towards... That's it, that, reckless, that's a lot uh, that, that kids can make decisions about things that a grown adult would struggle to make yeah. a decision over. So, I mean, I'm, I'm concerned about that. Mm. I'm concerned about a lot of these things. And again... I do wonder, this is just a thought I've had, I haven't really explored it in great depth, but is this a result of the fact of the blurring of the roles of men and women? To go back, sort of, as we finish mm. off, to the original point of the differences between men and women and the social roles we play that have radically changed. I think in the post-war mm. period, if we're in the post-modern mm. era, I think that's changed what women are expected to do and what men are expected to do. And I'm wondering, again, because I feel we're reaching the end of it, whether this is the result of it because there aren't clearly defined roles of what a woman does and what a man does anymore it's like a bit of a free-for-all mm. that that's brought about that confusion no i don't think it is i think it's the again social socially we go through changes don't we mm. it's just conservatism liberalism all that i think obviously we, we all like you know we want children to learn and make mistakes and make their decisions and stuff but I think sometimes we're giving children to make decisions on something that they shouldn't be making decisions on. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason why kids, you know, like you said, certain things they can't do. They can't give consent, let's say, for sex. We talk about that. So, you know, if you when you hear people saying um, underage sex, well, it's rape. Yeah, it's legal. Because you rape. don't, it's yeah. rape. Um, and that, you know, that someone said, because you, you know, whatever age you can give consent. No, you can't give consent. There's a reason why children at 12 can't drive a car out on the roads. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. they're not, by law, we're not saying they can. And they're not capable of making all the decisions that comes with that and the consequences. There's a reason why they say um, at the age of 10, which I think is far too low, uh, that you're criminally responsible for things. Under than that, you're not. Um, and there's a reason for that. Um, so I think, again, I think it's, for some, somehow it's sort of different attitudes have just sort of gone into different realms of things and, you know, change a bit of language here and there and it means something completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think the laws haven't really changed. It's the interpretations yeah. of them. Um, I think so much goes on that people aren't aware of, um, and if they were aware of it, they'd be like, oh, my God, that is horrific. But they're not aware of it. So it just goes along. And then, you know, it just filters through. And all of a sudden, it's the norm. And all of a sudden, it's, it's, all, it's thrust on everybody. We're all, like, looking around at each other going, what's going on here? Because we didn't, you know, we didn't mm. know. Where did this come from? And that's, I think that's just how society works. Yeah. Forever changing. I think it will be interesting to see what our roles are all expected to be in the future. But I'm, I'm convinced that we're at reach. We're sort of getting to an age where there's going to be a pushback to what's been going on. There is a, there's always always pushback, whatever changes. 
but it's um you know if we were to speak to people 50 years ago like you know grandparents or whatever with their these kinds of questions um you know that it would be very similar in in content really but um i just wonder yeah i'll be interested to see you know the next 10 years and obviously you know just the effect the future of young people now and what they're going to face and yeah, be interesting. Well, we've talked for nearly an hour, which has gone really, really quickly. So is there anything that you'd like to finish off with? Any Anything that you'd like to say before we sign off? Nope. I don't think so. Oh, I think we've got loads covered there. Laughing. <laughs> yeah, gasping now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much That's for doing okay. that with Michelle. So um, I don't know who I'm interviewing next time, but I'm trying to get something set up. So please come back in a fortnight for the next episode of Working Class Conversations.